Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As student pastor, Justin Stevers shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. So when I was in high school, um, as you can tell, uh, I was a three-sport athlete. Um, yeah, I'm a big deal. Uh, varsity. Uh, but uh, I did play, I played basketball. Um, and basketball was the third of my three sports. I wasn't as good at basketball as I was amazing at football and baseball. No. Um, but I wasn't, like, I, I was just playing basketball for fun, right? I was, I was playing basketball to stay in shape for baseball, right? Because you really need to, according to Big Poppy, stay in shape for baseball. But uh, I wasn't amazing, but I got some playing time. I started a few games, um, and I decided, because I wasn't amazing, because I wasn't going to blow anyone out away with my talent, that I was going to be the hustle guy. I was going to be the, like the, the, the scrappy guy. I was going to be, when I'm on the bench and I'm, I'm the one furthest away from the coach, but when they make a layup, I'm the one standing up every single little layup we make and like, yeah, let's go. And then when I get in, um, I'm the guy who's boxing out somebody no matter what. So um, someone shoots it, I'm standing next to a guy at half court, and I'm just going to box him out out of bounds for no reason. And I wanted to be the hustle guy, and I was the hustle guy. Uh, the coaches uh, praised me for it a little bit. I got a big head with it. No, not really. He can't get a big head for standing on the bench. But um, even some referees, when I would box out, I, I boxed out a couple of guys, like, out of bounds. They weren't even close to the play. And some of the referees were like, hey, good hustle, uh, 24. That, that was a good box out. I was like, thanks. It was unnecessary, but thank you. Um, they knew I needed uh, the positive affirmation because I didn't do anything else. But what I, what I would do sometimes, and, and I don't have a stat on this, but I'm pretty confident uh, if we kept stats on this, I was the team leader in taking charges for that season. So if you, you guys don't know, taking a charge, um, when the offensive player is going to the basket, he's running full speed, and what you do to take a charge is you just stand in front of him and stop and hope he just runs into you, and you fall down, and you go, whoa, and then um, hopefully they call it, that's an offensive foul, and then it goes, you get the ball, they don't score, and um, your team gets excited, and sometimes uh, we get a little excited for that. I, I remember one time I got too excited. I took a charge. They caught it. It's a charge going that way, and when I was getting up, I did that thing where you like slapped the floor with both hands, and I did, let's go, and then immediately thought, that was, a, that was a little excessive. Like, no one cares. You took a charge. Like, you didn't dunk or anything. But um, if, if, if there was a nickname for me in high school, it was the charge guy. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, today, I want to talk about a different charge, or a random way to talk about our text today. Paul is going to give Timothy a charge in our passage today. Now, it's the same word. The, the meaning has zero overlap. The, literally, the only reason I told the basketball story was because it's the same word. Zero meaning at all. But Paul is going to give Timothy a charge in our passage today. Paul is giving this exciting charge, like my exciting charges, 
to Timothy. He's going to uh, give him this, this urgent commission, this urgent assignment that is going to that is supposed to push and keep the momentum of the church going forward for, uh, in Paul's perspective, the next 2,000 years plus until Jesus returns. So this is a big deal. Paul is going to show how big of a deal it is in this text. So uh, with that being said, let's turn to 2 Timothy towards the end of your Bible. 2 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 4. Go talk about some charges. I guess I could have said something like charging cell phones, but I wanted to talk about me. Just kidding. Um, As we're flipping there to catch us back up to where we are in 2 Timothy, um, when I do get a chance to preach, um, I've been going through this book, and it's been um, good for my soul. I hope it's um, been good for yours as well. Um, But this is Paul's final letter. He is on death row. He is writing to his son in the faith Timothy, and he is encouraging him and instructing him on how to lead the church after Paul is dead and gone. There are false teachers already coming up into the church, and Paul is instructing Timothy on how to oppose them, how to lead well through adversity. And last time we talked in uh, chapter 3, Paul gave Timothy a a reminder of the foundation that he's stepping on, that he's standing on that he should be firmly planted on. And that foundation is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, perfect word of God. The true truth that God uses to call sinners to himself and to instruct us on how to live in fellowship with him. So Paul gave Timothy that encouragement to fight for and to continue in the word of God. And now we're going to see the urgent assignment that Paul gives Timothy as an extension of that fighting for and living in the word of God. Because God has given us his word, his self-revelation to us, Paul, now because of that, Paul says, Timothy, I charge you with this. So I hope you're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word together. Go be in the first five verses, one through five. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, or living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, or ready, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Lord, thank you for bringing us here together to look on you, to hear your word, and to give you the glory you deserve, Lord. I pray that you will speak to us through your word, and that we will leave here uh, doers of your word, not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So like I said, I want to be super quick and um, enjoy a tasty communion with you. So in this passage, we see, like I said, uh, Paul's charge to Pastor Timothy. And I want to look at four truths about this charge that we see from the text. Four truths that we see about this charge. So first, in verse 1, I want us to notice the severity of the charge. The seriousness of the charge. Verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So before jumping in, um, if you have the King James, you notice that one, two, three, four words in there. It says, therefore. Um, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word therefore, you should always ask what, it, what it's there for, right? And therefore is there to continue Paul's argument. So he's He's pointing back to what he previously said. So because we have this foundation of the perfect word of God that saves you or that's used to draw you into salvation and that instructs you in all godliness, because we have this, therefore, so I charge you with this. So because we have God's word, I'm charging you, Timothy, with these next five verses. And this charge, like I said, is serious. It's not a light thing. Um, if I'm asking someone to do me a favor and I say, um, hey, I charge you, I urgently call you to pick up that pencil that I just dropped, you would think I was a weirdo, right? Like, who is this guy? Why do you say I charge you? you? Like, Paul says, I charge you. Like, that word alone shows that Paul is, is saying something serious here. He's giving an urgent Mission, an urgent command. I charge you. So it shows the severity of the charge. But Paul, uh, he was a father figure to Timothy. He could have just implied to Timothy to do something. He could have um, politely asked Timothy to do something. He could have nudged Timothy towards doing something. But Paul said, I charge you, and he, and he adds even more weight to this charge. He says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So Timothy would have done anything for Paul, but Paul says, I charge you before God. Paul is invoking the eternal reality that God is here. He is present. He knows our hearts, Timothy, and in front of him, I'm telling you to do these things. In this one verse, in the seriousness of this verse, Paul gives us three eternal truths that, that are encouraging Timothy and should encourage you and me as we live uh, the Christian life and as we live out uh, Christ's ultimate charge. So quickly, um, Paul gives, gives in, this, in this charge three eternal truths as he um, invokes the name of God. The first truth that Paul encourages us is with the reality of Jesus's judgment. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead. Christ is the judge. Now, um, 
when I read it, it says quick and the dead. Um, that doesn't mean if you run like above an eight minute mile, then you're not gonna be judged. No, it means the living. So Paul uh, says, Jesus is going to judge everyone. He is the judge of the universe. Everyone will, will face their creator. Everyone will face the king of the universe whom they have rebelled against, whom we have all rejected. We all deserve this king's wrath, this king's justice. Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Even the words that we say that we don't think about are evidences of our rebellion against God. And we deserve justice against that rebellion. We stand condemned before God. We stand deserving his wrath and his punishment that we can't pay for. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, Christ Jesus, to make a way for us to be reconciled with God. He has made a way for us to be saved from the coming ju judgment, the coming wrath of God. By living, by Christ living the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, by him going to the cross as the substitute for sinners, his enemies to take their wrath that they deserve, and then raising from the dead and will soon return to make all things new and judge the wicked and bring his people home. By him doing this, he has made the way for us to have a relationship with the God who loves us, to be saved from the coming judgment. And this is the good news. This is the power of God to those who repent and give their lives to Christ. And this is foolishness to those who reject Christ. But Christ will judge. I, I gotta be quick. Number two, Paul encourages us with the sureness of Christ's return, the sureness of his appearing again, right? in the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Christ will return. I won't press too hard on this, but this is where our future hope is. We should be excited. We should be eager that Christ will return and make all things new. Justice will be satisfied. If you've been wronged in life, if you've been victimized in life, there will be justice. Even if you, you don't see justice on this side of eternity, know that Christ will return and bring perfect justice. We should be excited. It's a picture of, of a bride. Um, in our kind of wedding ceremonies, we do things um, different than they did back then, but, but think of a bride eagerly awaiting her, like, her prince charming, her groom to come and take her away. Like, that's how excited Christians are that Christ is going to return. Paul says in Titus that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself of people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then third, Paul encourages us by pointing to Jesus's kingdom. Um, Paul reminds us of the beautiful reality of the kingdom where we will reign with Christ, the true kingdom that we belong to, the kingdom where every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be singing the praises of God and will 
enjoy our king forever and ever. So Paul solemnly charges Timothy. He reminds him of these eternal realities, these eternal truths that we should be encouraged and excited by. So let us, like Paul, think about these eternal realities. Let us, like Paul and Timothy, have an eternal perspective. Let us fix our eyes, set our eyes on Christ and his kingdom. When we have an eternal perspective, when we fix our eyes on Christ and the glory of God and his coming judgment and his uh, return and his kingdom, then our priorities will be realigned. They'll be corrected. And we will have an eternal impact. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, really good books, um, C.S. Lewis said in a quote, I remember reading it the first time and it, like, it blew my mind. But C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So have that eternal perspective as we remember these truths. And they will help us live out the Christian life and help us make that eternal impact. And we see, uh, well, we see that the charge is severe, the charge is serious, but we haven't talked about what the charge is yet. So number two, verse two, Paul says, preach the word. We see what the charge is, preach the word. Preach the word, because God has given us his self-revelation. There is no way apart from his word that we can truly know the saving works of God, that we can live godly lives. It's the only way we can know our creator. And because of this, in the presence of God, in his eternal purposes, Pastor Timothy, preach the word, Paul says. There is nothing more important than the word of God being brought out and and presented, preached, exposed to his people or to people in general. Remember, uh, there is no way to know God, the God who loves us, apart from his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. Matthew uh, 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. No song, no fellowship, no Sunday school class, no potluck lunch or something, nothing will ever match the importance of the preaching of the word of God, the exposing, the exposition of the word of God through preaching. So, Timothy, preach the word. In verse two, we also see the when and the how of preaching the word. The when, Paul says, preach the word in season and out of season. The picture here is when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient, Timothy, preach the word. When people are responding and, and when everything's going well and you feel like it, preach the word. When people aren't listening and nothing's going well, like it is right now, no, I'm just kidding, um, preach the word when you don't feel like it, when you feel like it, when convenient, when inconvenient, preach the word. How? He gives us the how, too. By reproving or correcting, by rebuking, constructively calling out sin. 
by exhorting or encouraging with the word, with all long-suffering, with complete patience, and last, with doctrine, with true teaching from the word. Well, okay, you might say. Uh, I see that this is important passage for, for pastors. Um, I agree with what you're saying. Pastors should preach the word in season and out season, but 99% of us in this room aren't pastors. So what does this mean for me? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I can think of a number of applications, uh, but one, look at the example, look at how important Paul and Timothy view and take the word of God. Look at their, their whole life is centered on the word of God. This is Paul's last words, right? They say last words are lasting words. Um, when someone is on his or her deathbed and they give their last words, those last words are showing what their first priorities are, right? And Paul is in his death row and he's saying these last words. He is giving the charge, the most urgent command, preach, herald, proclaim, expose, build your life on God's word. Like we talked about last week because it is, or last time, it is more important than the food we need to survive. Do we view the word as that important? Are we starving for it? A couple other applications will spill into the next point, so let's keep moving. Number three, notice the why of the charge. Verses three and four. For, so, for, the time, not so, because, Uh, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts or desires, that Greek word, epithumia, is the word I used to remember in Greek class by give me a piece of that pizza. Um, I desire it. That's irrelevant. Uh, Desires. But after their own lusts or desires, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. May this never be said of us, this for or because. The the time will come when, when they won't endure sound doctrine. This is why you are to preach biblical truth. This is why you are to preach biblical solid sermons because there will be a time and spoiler alert, it's, it's now. It's from the time of Paul to even now where they won't like sound doctrine. Well, some people might say, I don't like the word doctrine, right? Doctrine divides. It gives people reasons to fight and disagree over silly things. We need to care more about unity than doctrine, some people say. Well, uh, those people are right. Doctrine does divide, but it divides truth from error, Any unity in the church has to be unity built on and built around total truth, and that truth found in the Word of God. Um, It was the the doctrine of the inerrancy and authority of Scripture that that split the Southern Baptist Convention in the 70s and the 80s. The the churches that denied it, they left. The churches that that, uh, held the inspiration and authority of Scripture, they stayed, and they were united around the scripture and its teachings. 
So we should care about doctrine and theology because God cares about our doctrine and theology or he wouldn't have given us his word. Now this doesn't mean you get to heaven by having perfect theology. It's not just us Southern Baptists and no one else, right? Because we have all the answers, no. It doesn't mean that there aren't people who are unnecessarily divisive over small parts of theology. There are those people, especially at Bible college. But what it does mean is everyone from five years old to 95 years old, from atheist to Christian, everyone is doing theology. Everyone's a theologian. Everyone has thoughts about God that leads to their actions. Everyone does. So the question is, are we gonna found and base our theology on the word of God or on our preferences? And when our preferences and the word of God butt heads, which one's gonna win? And I hope we say it's the word of God. And I say this um, about doctrine. Last thing on this, this point, to the youth a lot. The, the better you know someone, the more you can love them, right? The height at which your knowledge of someone goes leads to the depth that your love for them can, can reach, right? The more I know Lizzie, the more I study Lizzie, the more I live with Lizzie, the better I can love her, right? The better I know that she is not like me and isn't satisfied with um, applesauce and Cheez-Its for lunch every day. She wants diversity and variety. And because I know her, and because I want to show her how she's appreciated, I can buy her sushi now that she's not pregnant. And she can enjoy that. But, but my knowledge of her leads to me loving her better. Our knowledge of God, our doctrine, our theology, by studying and living in the word of God, will help us love him better. And then Paul continues, Timothy, a time will come when they will endure, not endure sound doctrine. But after their, their desires, they will, they will obtain a multitude of teachers for themselves. And the Greek says, to tickle their ears. Now, that doesn't sound appealing to me. I don't want my ears tickled by anyone. But, <laughs> but they say, this is, this is what they, it's going to tell them what they want to hear. It's going to tickle their ears. Because they want to turn away from true doctrine and biblical theology, people will gather all kinds of teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And I think we can name a ton of examples when we, um, after we ate pancakes in Sunday school this morning that were delicious, made by Molly, um, after we ate those pancakes, we talked about this passage a little bit, and, and we could name a bunch of prosperity gospel preachers Preachers who say, God just wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's all God wants for you. We can name all of those examples. Um, you can open up a podcast app. You could turn on the Christian TV station, and you can find so many examples of these, these people who will tickle your ears. But it's, it's, it's not just prosperity gospel preachers. It's not just liberal theology preachers. There are so many preachers who say they believe the word of God, and they come up, and they, they read a verse, but then they preach an hour on, on man-made traditions or on their own preferences, and that is the same tickling of ears. There are so many ways we can fall into error. It's easy for us to develop itchy ear syndrome. 
we could easily slip into this temptation. So how do we prevent it? Well, there's two responsible parties. One, like Paul is saying, preachers are responsible. Uh, Paul says, pastors actually preach from the word of God. We call it expositing scripture, right? Exposing what God has already said. Sticking with God's word and his wisdom for his people. And number two, the other party that's responsible is you, the church member who's sitting in the pew, the congregation. The other way to fight itchy ear syndrome is for individual church members to know what the Bible says and to call good pastors. Did you know that pastors are going to give an account for their congregation on the day of judgment? Hebrews 13. But did you also know that the congregation is responsible for the pastors that they call? Galatians, I I can't be here long because we got to take communion, but Galatians is a a letter written by Paul to a church that, that just accepted all kinds of bad teachers. Anyone with a bad teacher, a teaching, anyone with some bad theology, come to our pulpit and, and preach a sermon. Well, Paul writes a letter to the church. He doesn't write a letter to the pastors saying, you got to get this together. He writes a letter to the church saying, what are you guys doing letting these guys stand in your pulpit? So you, Paul, is holding the church accountable for who is in the pulpit. So this is why um, we, as a Baptist and a congregational church, vote on pastors. Not because it's, it's smart or wise, it is, but because it's biblical. We, we need to know the Bible, know the qualifications uh, of pastors in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and stick with those guys. Stick with those guys who are going to meet those qualifications, live godly lives, and preach the word. So remember that when Pastor Dean retires in 50 to 60 years, maybe 70, find a man of God who will not tickle your ear, but boldly preach the word of God because you will be held accountable. Avoid itchy ear syndrome. Uh, Number four, this leads to the extent of the charge, and that's verse five. But watch thou, or, or watch thou means um, be sober-minded, be, be in, have self-control, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, make foolproof of thy ministry or fulfill thy ministry. So he's saying four things here. I'm going to take them backwards. Fulfill your ministry. All of us in this room have a ministry. We're all called to make disciples and to share the gospel. So live out this call. How? By doing the work of an evangelist. By, by being in scripture, sharing scripture, by uh, sharing what you're learning in your devotions with friends at work, by, by asking spiritual questions to your family members, and running to the cross with people. And we do that, as we do that, as we live boldly for Christ, know that suffering, whether it's persecution or just life, is going to happen. And in that Run to Christ in your suffering. 
Use your afflictions to grow in his grace. And then last, be self-controlled. Don't let the desires of the flesh control you. Kill the sin that wants to kill you and run to Christ with his church. This is how we, as Central Baptist Church, will fulfill our ministry. This is how we will answer Paul's charge by letting his word touch every part of our hearts and every part of our lives. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.